Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Well, hello and welcome to this podcast in a series brought to you by FPIA, the European Federation of Pharmaceutical Industries and Associations, where we're considering what's known as the TRIPS waiver. That's where some of the terms of the agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights are set aside in order to help fight the COVID-19 pandemic. In June, the World Trade Organization agreed to waive some IP rights of the private sector on COVID vaccines. And now the WTO is considering extending extending that waiver to cover diagnostics and therapeutics for COVID-2. The deadline for reaching agreement is set for mid-December. This issue is proving very controversial. Why is that? Well, my name is Sue Saville, an independent health journalist. I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Gunther, CEO of Healthcare at Merck Germany Darmstadt. Before joining Merck in January 21, Peter was CEO at the Spanish biopharmaceutical company Almeral, and prior to that, he was with Zanofi for 22 years, rising to executive vice president. Peter, welcome to you. Good morning, Sue. Delighted to be with you today. That's great. Well, Peter, if I may, we hear a lot then about this TRIPS waiver. Just from the outset, though, what is it? What's it all about? Yeah, well, let's let's start with the beginnings, right, Trip? So, as you as you know, it is an acronym for the agreement on the so-called trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights, which has been signed by all members of the World Trade Organization and which went into effect in 1995, to be precise. TRIPS established minimum standards for the protection of a wide range of IP, including not just pharmaceutical patents, but also the rights of authors of literary and artistic works. Now, in the case of patents for pharmaceutical innovation, the purpose, obviously, is to have incentives in place that can attract the investments that are needed for research and development. In Europe, as an example, these incentives have provided the framework that saw research and development spending by the pharmaceutical industry of 40 billion euros in 2020 alone. So within that framework, IP protection is subject to several conditions and patents are in reality granted for a limited period of time, typically around about 20 years. On its own, however, a patent is worth nothing. In our industry, the value comes from years of development, starting with research in the lab, leading to clinical trials before a medicine can be approved and made available to patients, which of course is the ultimate goal. For every medicine on the market today, there are literally thousands of promising ideas that were patented but failed somewhere along the development process. And for this limited period of patent protection, a company is able to prevent others from making use of its invention, essentially preventing someone from reaping the benefits of their work without having taken any of the risks. The TRIPS waiver is an attempt to loosen the rules that outline under which circumstances governments can allow other companies to use a patented invention without the consent of the patent owner, which is also known as a compulsory license. Now, to your point in June, WTO members already agreed to loosen the rules on compulsory licensing for COVID-19 vaccines, in spite of the fact that vaccination rates peaked in early 2022. So it's not surprising then in the five months since the decision, no one has made a serious attempt to use these relaxed rules. And by the way, interesting, already in February, 
the African Center for Disease Control, has asked that vaccine deliveries be postponed to the third and fourth quarter because the challenges were logistics and vaccine hesitancy and not lack of vaccines. The decision now is on doing for COVID-19 therapeutics and diagnostic what was done for vaccines. Make it easier for governments to allow other companies to produce a COVID-19 therapeutic, even though its inventor has a valid patent for that product. So you're arguing then that actually it doesn't even achieve its aim, the waiver there, um, saying as, as you do there that they're trying to have no attempt to even use it. So if it's not achieved its aims, what do you make of the idea of extending it then now to diagnostics and therapeutics? Well, you have to bear in mind that the the speed at which some of these COVID-19 therapeutics reached the market likely contributed to the perception that we could again do so quickly for the next pandemic. But in reality, the truth is that those medicines reach patients as quickly as they did because of years, if not decades, of efforts by their inventors. To take just one example, clinical trials of remdesivir in COVID-19 patients began in February 2020 just a month before the WHO declared the pandemic, because they were enabled by nearly a decade of research. And remdesivir's initial discovery was followed by preclinical studies in multiple viruses, including coronaviruses, as early as 2014. Clinical trials for its use on on healthy patients and Ebola furthered the understanding of the molecule in humans. And those efforts generated evidence and knowledge, which made it possible to launch registrational trials at a much faster pace than would normally be possible. So the story for most of the roughly 36 approved COVID-19 therapeutics is a similar one involving years of development. Even for those products that were developed specifically for COVID-19, the companies or researchers involved relied on years of efforts and investments. Without what we would call that broader innovation ecosystem in place, there wouldn't just be innovation at the pace we are witnessing today. And the risk or the first risk for patients of a waiver that would weaken IP protection is what happens if companies know that the result of being successful in developing a vaccine or a therapeutic will be that simply their IP is taken away. There are over 800 products in clinical development for use in COVID-19 patients. And the overwhelming majority, as we sadly know, will fail. Those working on these potential therapies should not have to fear that the IP incentives that are enabling them to make the investment needed will be taken away if they are successful. Now, looking beyond COVID-19, Our collective ability to respond to a future pandemic will in reality depend on preserving the system of incentives and IP protection in place. Just as we've seen for COVID-19 treatments that originated years ago as potential therapies for other conditions, today's research will be one element of the answer to the next pandemic. It's clear, for example, that we need more research into antivirals today if we want to improve on our response to COVID-19. The vision of developing effective and safe pandemic products within 100 days of a new pandemic declaration will not become a reality if IP protections are weakened. The world is in reality in a very different place today when it comes to COVID-19, but it's also clear that we need continued research. There remains much we don't understand about the virus, and in some cases, such as, for example, long COVID, we don't yet have good treatment options. So you argue that the TRIPS waiver is 
potentially damaging to patients and potentially damaging to innovation. But surely extending it is is meant to be a, a benefit to patients, a rebalancing of that trade-off between I, IP and access, and perhaps something that is perceived by the public as being a very positive thing that the pharmaceutical industry can do in terms of building up trust, collaboration, which are essential for the delivery of the vaccines, the diagnostics and, and the therapeutics. So what is the pharmaceutical industry doing to, to show in concrete terms that they are out there making partnerships, being collaborative? Yeah, well, Sue, you know, um, the, the argument that you just mentioned on, on access to patient, this is typically the argument that, that you will hear from TRIPS waiver proponents. But the notion that there is a tension between IP and access is fundamentally flawed. The debate on access versus IP has unfortunately too often been more about ideology. That's been true from the beginning. Uh, no single vaccine or treatment for COVID-19 has been approved or had been approved when India and South Africa introduced their proposal for a waiver of IP. And that's essentially proposing a solution before one could even have evidence that there is a problem. We should first determine whether there is a supply or an affordability problem and whether a waiver would be an effective way to address this. And what was true for vaccines remains absolutely true for therapeutics. Not only is waiving IP not an effective means of increasing production, but the IP system has been the greatest facilitator of measures that have enabled scaling up production. The only way uh, to have the therapies of tomorrow is to have strong IP framework today. You could argue that the lack of IP would mean no debates about access to vaccines, therapeutics or diagnostics, but only because without IP, there wouldn't be the same range of vaccines, therapeutics and diagnostics. It's also not the case that this is a North versus South debate, as some have suggested. A recent joint communication to the WTO from Mexico and Switzerland reviewed the available evidence and concluded that there is neither a lack of access nor a lack of manufacturing capacity for COVID-19 therapeutics and diagnostics. Now, coming back to your question, because of IP, our industry has been able to work with partners to expand production across the entire value chain. There are now over 140 collaborations established by innovative pharmaceutical companies with partners worldwide. And over 90% of those collaborations involve technology transfer. Now, some of these cooperations have been concluded bilaterally and others have relied on global mechanisms that were set up precisely to increase access to medicines for low and middle income countries. The so-called medicines patent pool, which is backed by the United Nations, works with stakeholders to prioritize and license medicines and pool intellectual property to encourage generic manufacturing. And so far, it's concluded agreements that cover three oral antiviral treatments for COVID-19 and 12 COVID-19 technologies. Other models include one that Merck has pursued, where we make available a set of research compounds free of charge through our open global health library. And what's more, many companies signed voluntary licensing agreements even before regulatory authorities granted full regulatory approval, reflecting commitments to broad patient access. And these agreements have been in reality in addition to commitments to donate or provide products at a non-for-profit price. The result is that already today, supply of COVID-19 treatments exceeds demand and additional production capacity continues to come online through these voluntary licenses. 
So if then, Peter, compulsory licenses could be used to increase production and availability of vaccines, why not then use compulsory licenses for diagnostics and therapeutics? Well, Sue, there is obviously one critical element of voluntary licenses that they involve much more than simply licensing IP. Collaboration means that companies work really hand-in-hand, sharing technology, know-how, building internal capabilities and capacities and working jointly to to solve the and to tackle the issues, right? So the other side of the coin is that companies that sign a voluntary license to manufacture a product, they really commit themselves to follow strict quality assurance policies. And they must also report adverse events to the originator company to support patient safety data obligations, what we refer to as pharmacovigilance. Products manufactured to a compulsory license are unfortunately not automatically subject to the same obligations. And I really have to underline here that the importance of adverse event reporting cannot be understated. Allowing companies to manufacture a generic without these reporting requirements would undermine this core framework for patient safety. So concerning the outlook for the pharmaceutical industry in Europe, there's been concern for some time. It's falling behind other regions of the world, perhaps the US, in terms of innovation. What impact then would a TRIPS waiver have on the industry in Europe? What do you see as the outlook for the ecosystem here? So far, I think Europe remains a hub for pharmaceutical innovation and production, but we can't take this really good position for granted. Looking at the broader geopolitical context, the soaring costs for energy, the risk of disruption of supply chain as a result of the war in Ukraine, put us really at a significant disadvantage compared to other regions with much lower energy costs. In parallel, as you may know, the European Commission is is looking at various measures intended to reduce IP incentives for innovation in the so-called revision of the pharmaceutical legislation. That this is being considered during a pandemic shows that there's a real disconnect between what politicians say they want and what their policies can be expected to achieve. On the one hand is the desire for a real resilient pharmaceutical sector in Europe, one that continues to deliver innovations while also being better equipped to adjust to external shocks such as the pandemic. On the other, we see policies in Europe that make it increasingly less attractive as a location for research. This while other regions are redoubling their efforts to encourage innovation. So, In summary, the IP protections we have today were put in place to incentivize research into new and improved therapies, which we continue to do so while keeping the best interest of patients and their caregivers at the center of everything we do. The industry remains committed to being part of the solution when it comes to making sure that these innovations reach the patients who need them. Reducing incentives, whether in Europe or globally at the WTO, will definitely not improve access. It will reduce innovation and treatments for patients. Our industry is really committed to engaging with other stakeholders so that we have policies in place that can boost both uh, innovation and access. And you say there, Peter, that there's this disconnect then between what the politicians say they want and what is actually being achieved. If you don't want the TRIPS waiver to come through in mid-December, where the WTO has set this deadline, briefly, perhaps, what would you like to see happen? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I think I I, I mentioned uh, the most important elements, right? Uh, I think that uh, politicians should realize that in reality, there is de facto no problem of access, that de facto voluntary licenses with technology transfers have been 
have been signed and therefore uh, I would say that um, let's call it like that pragmatism and innovation or let's say the comprehension that future innovation will will save us also in the next pandemic like it saved us in in the in the covid-19 pandemic is the solution and and not the problem and therefore i think pragmatism should prevail over ideology well, thank you very much peter gunter ceo of healthcare at merck germany darmstadt thank you so much for your insights it's been great talking to you pleasure pleasure sue and uh, hope to see you soon bye bye Thank you. And for our audience, there are more podcasts in this series on the proposed extension of the TRIPS waiver. So do click the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release the next episode. And please do leave a rating and review. Goodbye for now.